Hello to all the miserable grumps this week. I'm hoping you're feeling extra moody for this episode because it feels like Victor has gone full Victor in parody this week with rants and raves. Uh, this week we'll be discussing Descent into the Maelstrom and I'm joined by my guest, new to the show, Rich. Hi Tom, thanks for having me along. That's all right. Thank you very much for joining. You got in touch a short while ago. You gave some very kind feedback and you wanted to come on and discuss an episode. So here you are. Uh, Was it the episode you were hoping to discuss or were you quite open-minded to whatever? I'm very open-minded, but this is, as luck should have it, this is one of my favourites. So I was was very pleased with with the subject choice. Oh, it worked out all right then, didn't it? So Rich, um, just so listeners get to know a little bit about you, the guest, because it's always good. I think, um, I think they know me by now, but Whoever I have on, it's good to break the ice and get to know you. So when did you first get into One Foot? Was it in its prime? Did you discover it a bit later? Were you watching them as um, they came out? Or I was actually an original viewer because I'm, I'm a lot older than you and probably a lot older than some of the um, guests that you've had on lately because I was 20 in January 1990. So the first episode aired a few weeks before my 20th birthday. Like some other series, like Only Fools, which I know you were a big fan of, it was it, it was a bit of a slow burner to start with. Mm. Took me probably a couple of series to get fully into it. And I think that was pretty typical of the general viewing figures. Yeah. But then I stuck with it right for the 90s and still watch it on repeat now. That's brilliant. I mean, I was watching, I'm a bit younger than you, okay, but I was watching it as it was aired probably in the mid-90s when I was sort of old enough to know what it was. Certainly, um, one episode I remember watching live was Endgame, where Margaret almost like, essentially passed away. I think yeah. it's that episode anyway. And that blew me away with the all these episodes are dark and they they really re- they reel you in, don't they? And um, yeah. that was a bit of a stomach churner because Victor was very vulnerable in that episode, I think. But yeah, I, I can remember a few episodes, certainly Series 6, when that, that final airing and a couple of specials before that. I guess Series 4 or 5, when, it, when that was being aired, I, I can recall that, but not Series yeah. 1 and 2. But plenty of times I've watched the episodes on video, VHS. But I'm certainly not as up on One From The Grave as many other fans of the show and certainly the ones who've been on this show. My knowledge of of One Foot is not as strong as Only Fools, but probably because I've rinsed Only Fools and Horses several times more. But yeah, here I am. I I think I know a little bit, but that's why I like having guests like yourself on who, I always say this, put me straight, come up with some great, interesting facts of the show. (laughs) So a little bit about you then, Rich. So you said that you're a budding stand-up, is that right? I I am a very budding stand-up, very much early days. I turned 50 beginning of this year I did a stand-up, indeed i did a stand-up comedy course whilst i was on a holiday in melbourne oh at melbourne australia yeah, Ma- yeah melbourne australia and that went really well and gave me the taste i guess i started doing a lot of open mic when i came back to england then we ended lockdown yeah. but i did apply for a couple of shows one of which is britain's got talent and i've got an audition early next year fantastic i wonder if you'll make it to the actual live auditions you got to get past that initial bit where it's in the back yeah. room isn't it it's very much an early stage. Well, I've, I might be doing the series down now, but I would suspect that most people who apply will get a first stage audition, which is what I've got. Right. If I get through to the first televised round, I'll be very happy with that. And that's probably my limit, to be honest with you, because there's some really, always some really strong acts on there. What's your um, style of stand-up? Um, it's a very, say very, it, it's a subtle style. It's quite dark, which is probably why... I'm a fan of One Foot and yeah. similar comedy shows. One and two liners, but I probably take the darkness to a level and then I leave it, which is pretty, again, pretty similar to what they do in One Foot. So Okay, well, that's good. I, that's I, good, to, good, good luck think, to you. And thank you. So look out for Richard Taylor in, will it be aired next year? I think 
well, at this rate, God knows if you'll be able to make yeah. it. But yeah, well, good luck Depending to you. Depending on thank you. And it'd be good if you could, in somehow, in any of your material, mention Wolf in the Grave, because that'd be really yeah. good to bring it back to, uh, that's my little ongoing mission, to bring one foot in the grave back into talking point of for the lips of all comedy fans and, and they need to be yeah. doing rewatches of this great show i don't feel like it is getting oh, no. the credit it deserves it's um i'm like a broken record i reference this most episodes partly why i'm doing it but also it's quite therapeutic talking about one foot because no one else is doing it so i'm glad to be doing it and um having guys and girls like yourself on no so. my, my my style or my it's not a character but if i were to be a character it probably would be quite victorish and although i'm 10 years younger now than victor's character was at the start of the series that there would there would be character mm. traits that, that i had that are his so well i hope i don't get any nerves too much of this uh <laughs> episode Not at all. when margaret suffers from about stress and dizziness victor's in charge and plays nurse to her every need which may only serve to make matters worse margaret is reunited with a close connection from her past and it's a humorous yet bizarre mix-up with victor's dry cleaning Meanwhile, Victor appears charitable to passerbyers in the street. Let's head into the first scene then. We open up with a quite unusual... I don't think we've had an opening like this before where there's a, something spinning and we don't quite know what it is. It's I, I describe it as like a close-up of like a whirlpool spinning to eventually focus in on yeah. Victor peering down. It's like a plenty of view shot. And it's he's sort of gazing into it, very weary, brief sound effect being played. And then we're brought into reality of it's obviously they're in their kitchen, it's evening time. And we, we, we've gone straight into a bit of slapstick almost, or a bit of um, something that's annoying Victor anyway. So can you describe what's happening there? So he's putting yeah. some celery or something down, down a waste disposal, isn't he? It is a piece of celery. The opening scene and... It took me a couple of rewatches almost to get this, but I thought initially that he we're watching it from the perspective of being inside a washing machine or a tumble dryer. Yeah, but it but it is a whirlpool effect because it is it's a waste. Did you um, have waste unit. disposal unit? I mean, I, I don't think it was that common, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't common, but some people had them. Mm. But yeah, we 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 see Victor with a stick of salary, and I didn't know what Maelstrom was, but apparently Maelstrom, I believe, is. Is, is a whirlpool. It's a powerful whirlpool in, the, in yeah. the sea or river. Yeah, I had to double check the definition myself. But the great thing about this little moment is he's just demonstrating to Margaret, who's looking on, to say that this new uh, feature in their kitchen is obviously not working. And he counts down from three to one. Here we go. Look. Three, two, one. <laughs> on cue, it blows like it spits out all the, the food, whatever he's put in the, the celery. The funny moment is the sound effect, but Richard Wilson bending, literally bending his back backwards. is <laughs> he's just got one of those faces where he's, even though this has happened probably several times to Victor with this particular waste disposal, it still makes him jump because he's not really expecting it. Comes up with a, a great one liner, doesn't he? All the models on the market, we have to end up with a waste disposal. You're the kind keep his food down. <laughs> The, the bit that I did zone in on this week was the fact that he's actually holding a carrot, although we don't see the carrot go yeah, in or come out, yeah. but he's got a carrot. And he, and he, he, makes, he makes a cross-reference to the restaurant trip, doesn't he? Because they've just come back from the Indian or the Chinese. I think it's the Indian. And... Yes. Well, it, I just, he does say, well, just to go back on it, the only waste disposable on the market that can't keep its food down. And Margaret yeah. wants to change the topic because she seems and looks unwell. Usually she, she gets a bit irate 
when Victor gets irate because she just hears it all the time. But he thinks it was the, like you said, the Indian they just dined out for. And Margaret disagrees and she leaves. And during mid-sentence, Victor's sort of continuing to properly slag off the Indian restaurant. She switches off the kitchen light and leaves them in the dark. Yeah. A bit passive from Margaret, but I think she just wants to get on with it and get up to bed at that point. Margaret's heard it also before, hasn't she? And you can tell that she is meant to be a lend. Brought into the bedroom now. Uh, yeah. Victor's still moaning about the bloody restaurant which already has the audience laughing i think we are well and truly invested into the character of victor now so he's only got to say compared to that first series maybe the second the character is so strong that a couple of words like bloody restaurant is making the audience chuckle already because that is his main trait is having a whinge so he recounts a story of the time they went to i think that that same restaurant and the toilets doors were locked or something they, they were they were stuck in the, the yeah, box, he, he got lit, and that They were passing poppadoms through the bottom of the toilet door to him. Yeah. All of these episodes are full of these little anecdotes, which are brilliant because you can imagine them straight away, but they don't seem they would necessarily happen, but it still makes you laugh because it's so bizarre because, like I said, we are invested in Victor Meldry now, and these kind of things do happen to him. So it's believable yeah. in his in his universe. I think what's got to Vic, on Victor's nerves, there was a some sort of stag do or some blokes out on a, it was a stripogram dangling a breast in the basmati rice. And they're just, I think, a, a load of lager louts, essentially. Margaret's still looking quite peaky. And like I said, she just doesn't seem to be, to care much for his whinging. Uh-huh. But with the, with the stripogram reference, she, she says he, she thinks it's supposed to be uh, like a Marilyn Monroe yeah. tribute. Because uh, it was Vic- a blonde, blonde wig, and he makes reference to Groucho Marx or one of the Marx brothers. So yeah. that's why. Harpo yeah. Marx, yeah. I said it on the last episode, which I sort of observed that Victor's very clever at referencing historical figures, or in, in, in the heat of the moment when he's stressed, he can compare something to something else. Yeah. And I can't really do that. So when he says, Oh, I thought it was Harpo Marx, like, I wouldn't think to say that. But yeah, it's clever. I love it. Eventually, kind of clocks that. Maybe he should help Margaret. And his caring side's coming out now, isn't it? He offers to massage her, which surprised me. That seems very out of character for Victor. Um, I don't well, know if that's something they usually do. It isn't, it isn't out of character. Because I think we see them both at times during, this, during the whole run of the series. When they're, both at their very, sorry, when they're both at their most vulnerable, normally through illness, they, they genuinely do care for each other. They, oh, 100%. You know, yeah. I, I and, do believe there's love in that marriage, but... There's been question marks around the whole sex thing, and yeah, I think people, Victor and Margaret, you know, early sixties. That's, that's not ancient, but I think there might have been on the tail end of that generation back in the early nineties where they just assume they're too old to. I don't think. I think, given half the chance, Margaret would go for it, and in I think in warm champagne, she is tempted. But yeah. Victor certainly retired himself from that, that game. I think. We we see that as well in the episode of I think it's actually further on in the series when the Barbara Windsor character comes on yes. him in the green grocers. Millicent. Yeah. And any yeah. bit of misdirection from Victor in that, isn't it? Because you think he's interested. But yeah, I look forward to reviewing that. Victor establishes he's gonna make Margaret feel better. He heads off into the I think the bathroom and he think he says you'll have a stomach like Fred Emney. I think he's an actor. I, I hadn't heard of Fred Fred Emney, but he's when I looked him up he's just big fat guy who looks a bit unhealthy uh, with a big gut so i assume he's just making that like yeah. to margaret's bed again make you know, cross referencing I, I, I didn't get that reference at all i, I tried to look up i didn't actually catch what the surname was but now you say i think i think yeah he was he is or he was rather a very big 
Yeah, that's, I, I'm just that's what I took from it anyway. But uh, he certainly continues to moan about the customer service as he heads to the bathroom of their night out. And Margaret is on the bed. She is about to faint, essentially, and she does faint. She calls out for Victor, and as she calls out, she collapses on the bed face first. Quite funny that we hear the toilet flush pulled because <laughs> he's he's oblivious that anything's happening. Oh, did he? Um, yeah, he was. I think as he was. Getting on top of Margaret, I finished that sentence wisely or carefully to <laughs> massage her, not in that way. He recounts one of the yobbos in the Indian who I think by the sounds of it, a bit of a punk and there's like an, an earring stuck. They got his cap, didn't they? And they stuck the earring in, the, yeah. in their mouth. So they had like a stud on their mouth, which the staff were too scared to say anything. So it sounds like they had a bit of a, a, bit of a wild night, but the wrong time yeah. to go for an Indian, I think. And because he references the fact they won't be able to get the teeth marks out of the lining. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And one of them said, Hey, Dave, this poppadom's a bit tough. Yeah. <laughs> Before Victor realises that Margaret is essentially... I don't think she's unconscious. She's just fainted, isn't she? Yeah. Are you, if you're not better by Saturday, maybe we should give Roger's party a miss, which yeah. I thought, Roger, Roger. Looking that up, we'll, spoke, we'll talk a little bit about it later, but it's, I think it's a cousin... He's a, he's a 60th he birthday. Is, yeah, he, he's, it's his cousin's 60th birthday, but he's another member of his extended family that we only ever hear reference to once or twice, but never see. Every episode is, I think, yeah. an animal referenced, or we just see an animal. And uncles, aunts, second, great aunties, yeah. second cousins. Because he doesn't get a response from Margaret, he, he can see that she's unwell. A bit of sorrowful music plays, and that scene ends. I think it's very doting of Victor, isn't it? Like, he is a good husband, like, yeah, he, he might not tend to hurt every need in other areas that we've spoken about, but when the chips are down, Victor is he always steps up. Yeah, always. You've only got to see um final episode of series six. Things aren't simple anymore. Where Margaret is really dwelling on oh, off to her new life without Victor, and she can yeah. really see that he was a good person. Only other bit that I did reference was the fact that I again. Referring back to the fact that I thought that earlier on she looked at the about the Keel Laver, mm. I think we're meant to think at one stage towards the end of that scene where Margaret's led face down on the bed and yeah. that, that she may have actually gone. Really? You, yeah. Do you, or, think, or, do you think that the audience was supposed to be fooled that she was dead or very much unconscious and almost dying? Or what, what, do, you, what do you think? Is that, is that your opinion or is that something I'm not aware of? I was fooled by it, so... Oh, As fair enough. I mean, the audience. Yeah, I, I, the first time I saw it, and again, when I've been re-watching it, I, 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 I remember thinking, yeah. To be fair, you watched it at a time when it was aired. So I, I respect any fans' opinions or views on it. So I get that because obviously we know there's six series and several yeah. specials. But at this point, it's series four. It's getting quite deep into this, the show now, isn't it? So who knows? Anything goes with One from the Grave. We, we already know it is very dark as well. So Yes. If we head into the next day... <laughs> or the next scene, it's the next day, should I say. Uh, Victor is on the phone to his cousin, Roger, who is celebrating his 60th birthday. I don't think we learn that that's a 60th. It's just referenced in the One from the Grave manual that I'm forever yeah. referencing. Apparently, the doctor says it's a nervous exhaustion and it's been building up for, for the last 35 years. Victor doesn't read into that. It's a great bit of comedy. No. It's to highlight that. 35 years of living with Victor has caused this stress. We've only seen in the uh, Universal One from the Grave, we've only seen a couple of years of it. Yeah. I don't think it's him that causes the stress as such. It's, it's what he's confronted with in life and how he responds to it causes stress. 
because he gets stressed out. Yeah. They kind of attract bad luck. And of course, that is going to affect the person you're with, i.e. Margaret. So, but he's innocent about it. He doesn't really, I mean, as if a doctor would say it's probably 35 years of stress. I don't think they'd be that vague would they but it's I don't, I don't think they'd be that direct knowing that they've been married 35 years no. and that they've been together for, but it, there's an interesting throwback to that line that Renwick does later on in this show as well where towards the end Margaret references the 35 years yes yes that's true um we also learn that whilst he's on the phone to Roger that well he speculates it could be the death of his mother his mother yeah her mother sorry forever love these little throwbacks there's always something that brought into the next episode so the last episode was The Pit and the Pendulum. Yeah. Which Margaret's mother sadly passed away. Here we are in the following episode and it's referenced. So I like that. I like that continuity. Um, it's continuity in itself that I always reference it, but I just can't help it because I'm observing this episode and like, picking things up from the, the prior episode. There's not many sitcoms that does that. No, because I know you've referenced this in a previous show, Tom, but a lot of sitcoms are so focused on the here and now that that one episode could be standalone and you never need to have watched any other episode but he's very good around wicked in terms of referencing back to things that, or yeah. even like fairly fairly subtle references that probably weren't that big a thing Mar- yeah. margaret's mother dying is a, is a big thing but yeah he's very good at referencing that yeah i think there's some i think um in luton airport norgan he screamed in the preceding episode they're obviously decorating because they've moved house yeah, and it's just the little things like that. I quite like that. You know, they're still decorating the following episode. The hiring of a VCR player, which the original yeah. one got nicked. So yeah. they talk about the fact that they don't need the hired VCR anymore. They can send it back. So it's continuing on from Monday morning. We'll be fine when they got burgles. So yeah, I love it. Going back to Victor on the phone, it sounds like this cousin. It sounds like he gets on well with them. Victor and Margaret, probably more Victor. They don't seem to have friends they like or family they're particularly right. fond of. I think Margaret and her mum obviously got on. Certainly Victor and Albert, oh, sorry, Alfred. Didn't get on. Yeah, didn't get on. They don't really seem to speak fondly of cousins, and it seems to no. be a bit of a hassle. If you got the likes of Mr. Foskett turning up, that's um, a ball ache for them. Obviously, yeah. they, in that particular episode, they slept in, and they just wouldn't up for the visit. But Margaret and Mrs. Warboys is a strong bond. I think that's a consistent... Okay, that- Victor can't stand. Yeah, it's a funny one with that. I think Mrs. Warboys irritates him in very subtle ways where she's a, she he knows she's a good person. She's got a good heart, but she just annoys him and there's nothing he can do about it because she is a good person. She's not doing anything on purpose. Yeah. She's so blasé about things. I think that's what gets on his on his nerves. But on this telephone call, he recounts what possessions they've kept from Margaret's mother. So they just kept a bit of jewellery, which will be important later. The answer machine, of course, the video player. The fact they hired a video player, I know that was a thing up until probably the early 90s. And video players were really expensive once upon a time. But you can get, obviously, really cheap DVD players, even Blu-ray players. And, of course, you've got all these streaming services, which means that, obviously, DVD players are almost obsolete. So I wonder, back in a time where Sky and Cable wasn't as easy to get hold of because that was expensive, that's why the price of video players and tellies were so high because... Yeah, and demand and stuff. I certainly <laughs> used to. The first video I got was in '86, and that was definitely one that was rented. And then, relative terms, then it was it was a very expensive piece of kit, but yeah. a very basic video. Now, looking at it, thirty years on, thirty-five years on. Well, Betamax um, players were still a thing in the mid '80s. My my grandparents were using theirs in, into the mid '90s. Yeah. Um, did did they own it or did they rent it? No, they they owned it. 
Um, they've never really got on board with technology. They had a VCR player, which they used well into the 2000s. I brought them a DVD player one year. They just could not work it. No. It wasn't an all-singing, all-dancing one. It was an on-off button. Back, back with VCR players, or if you connected a Scartly to your television, you didn't have to press, like, a certain button, or you have to go on channel nine or channel six. So, so it, yeah. So on, do, do you know what I mean by that? Whereas I, the, I do. It, it was a lot more. It sounds daft, but the the basic skills to operate anything to do with technology had to be greater then than they are now. Whereas now you can just we've got it all at our fingertips with digital stuff. But yeah, yeah. It, it it was a lot more complicated back then. With the DVD player, I was explaining to my nanny and my granddad that all you have to do. And I didn't say it like this because I absolutely adored them. I was just like, just use a, switch your television on. You press the on button on the DVD player and it will literally tune into the right channel for you. You don't need to press. Every time I go around there, they would say, oh, we don't have to work. We press channel <laughs> six to get the, the signal. No, you don't. You just press on and it's... It will come on. And they never quite grasp, grasped it, to be fair. And I think, um, yeah, but that, that, I'm totally digressing there. With, on the topic of ECR, Victor references that it's going to be collected at nine... And he said it still hasn't, they still haven't arrived, so it's more lateness from various yeah. workmen or servant builders or whatever. Whoever's due to turn up, they're always late. It's an ongoing thing, putting the um, certain businesses in bad light and show up and they build, whether it's builders or car mechanics. Yeah, but Victor's whole persona, that is the sort of thing that will rankle him because we know how punctilious he is with stuff. Mm. So, yeah, it is a running thing throughout the series that Victor hates people being let down, which he constantly is by builders or tradesmen or yeah. Yeah. shops or anything, really. The scene moves on up to upstairs where Victor heads. He goes into the bedroom. Margaret's led in bed. So it's relieving to see that she is with us and she's yeah. just resting up. It looks like Victor said it, he references this do he's going to. It's going to be a bit of a bit of a, quite a swish do. He's going to get his uh, suit iron um, dry cleaned. So yeah. he's, he's taking it quite seriously and he proceeds to make quite a fuss of Margaret, which is very sweet, but it does have the opposite effect. So he's unplugging the house phone and you just need a bit of peace and quiet and he's filling with the, the, the window the window lock that is the best part of that scene is obviously he knocks over a few items on the dresser but he gets the the duvet and just wafts it just to like strain it out which yeah you can see the the uh stress building up in margaret's face just by doing that it's something i do and- to my i've done to my fiance just like wolfed up the um wolfed if that's a word the duvet just because i think i'm doing a nice thing just by making yeah. it fresh and it does annoy her so um i see what Victor was trying to do i think he references the fact as well that he hates it when it happens to him and people have make a lot of noise and yeah stuff when he's ill which at the moment that he just won't essentially shut up but he's yeah. just being nice margaret flips and lets out a fantastic line Yapping away in God knows what the that could drive you absolutely potty. I know for myself. Will you shut the front door? <laughs> Which I'm sure. So she says, "Will you shut the front door?" That's yeah. a really annoying, boorish, modern saying that people say to replace the f word now. Oh, yeah. Shut the front door. Like I don't know if it. I like to think it derived from this very episode. Oh, you could just say shut the front door instead of shut the f- up. But Margaret says it. Annette Crosby's style is fantastic. But when I hear that saying now, that's a, this is a mini Meldrew moment. Yeah. I, I can't stand it. I'd rather someone just say it properly or use a different saying. Not shut but the I front think, door. I think it's written very cleverly and 
she delivers it really well. Where it's the, yeah. will you? And we know damn well that on a she BBC program, pre she, she's not going to say fuck, but no, it has no. to be another F word. <laughs> There's not an F word in One from the Grave, is there? It's not, no. uh, even though it's post watershed, it would be out of character for them both to use the F word, actually. They're quite old fashioned. Well, certainly Victor is. You'll yeah, say, I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think you could in the early 90s either. No. Because he, he, the watershed is nine o'clock, isn't there? And I don't think even then you could say it. Certainly on the BBC, you couldn't say it after nine o'clock. No. No, it's a different time now. I think you probably can. Yeah. But, um, but it is a hilarious moment. And poor old Victor was puppy dog look, sort of a little bit take, taken aback that um, she's yelped at him. But as he leaves, Margaret sort of lets out this funny sigh, like, oh, which is very subtle, but I found funny. But here's Victor, here's the door, and said, Oh, that'd be Mrs. Warboys with the dry cleaning. So he's relied on Mrs. Warboys to collect his dry cleaning. I don't know why he couldn't get it. I, th- I guess he's waiting in for the video repair guy. Yeah. But he's relying, probably brave to rely on Mrs. Warboys to do essentially a simple chore. Oh, um, not chore, task. Yeah. Errand calls out to Mrs. He doesn't quite know where Mrs. Warboys is. He's sort of look, waiting around in the living room and he's sort of looking out the window for the video repair or the video hire company, should I say. And then Mrs. Yeah. Warboys sort of casually comes in from the kitchen via the dining room and she, she seems to have Margaret's dress suit. She's got a gorilla outfit. Victor's utterly flabbergasted, isn't he? Mrs. Warboys is just wonderful. Totally oblivious to why on earth he would need a gorilla outfit. When, when he is gobsmacked by it, she thinks he's referring to a beetroot stain. <laughs> yeah. He's getting the wrong end of the stick. She's, she's so sweet. And she just has no clue. She goes, don't tell me they mixed up the tickets again. Obviously, another rant comes along. Or another rant from Victor. He's suddenly, he's he's actually been quite calm, hasn't he, up to this moment? He was. Yeah, I've been up until now, but. Sickly I, I nice. think this is. But this is the first point of the episode, really, without complete surrealism of the gorilla <laughs> suit being brought back, where he's actually got. What a great. Almost like that catalyst to be tipped over. What a great idea, though. If our prop I could put in this episode, a gorilla costume. Yeah. Um, and of course, he comes up with a great line. <laughs> Shop, keep <laughs> he has a point. Mrs. Warboys has done him a favour, but I would be asking questions like, I mean, whose fault is this? Because she's gone to the dry cleaners. She said Victor Meldrew, and they've handed that to her. She may well have gone, that's a bit unusual, yeah. and then got over it. It's up to the dry cleaners, isn't it, to hand the right I think she doesn't. I, I think the blame lies solely with the dry cleaner because Mrs. Mm. War, we know that we know that Mrs. Warboys War and Victor aren't on the same wavelength, shall we say? But she might look at it and think, "Oh, it's a fancy mm. dress party." Well, she knows he's going to a party, probably. So she's like you said, yeah. she thinks it's a fancy dress. So and, you know, he says it's not even in my size. It's not a permanent crease in the trousers. So. No. It does look like it wouldn't fit him. It does look like his legs would stick out on because he's quite a tall bloke, Richard Wilson. I mean, I'm only five seven. I'm yeah. shorty. He looks about six one. That's a marvelous, marvelous visuals already. But he's moaning. He obviously has a moan. It's another job for him to do now. He's got to take it back. What I was going to say was, I don't think when we've got annoying errands to run, it's annoying. That we've got to to the post office, post something. But in Victor's world, he's retired. I just wonder if he, if would he prefer to be getting the run around versus being really bored? Because when he's bored, yeah. he's at his lowest, isn't he? Yeah, and that's yeah, and he does seem to be at his most um, energetic when he's got stuff to do, and it is, albeit stuff that he has to do that goes badly wrong. Mm. 
but yeah, as when we see him sat, just sat there eating a packet of crisps or reading the paper, it's it's not quite Victor. I think he he stopped he stopped in his tracks because he he can hear the VCR hire company pull up and he opens his door. We've got like a side shot of Victor standing on his front porch or front door, and it's just a catalogue, so it's a bit of a false alarm. I just noticed that. Patrick and Pippa's house has still got the for sale sign. They're still not giving up the idea of selling their home. I wonder if it stays like that till they actually move, because they do move, don't they? I think in later on in Series 5. So I wonder they, if that just... They definitely do move, yeah. They definitely do move. I wonder if they, they keep the for sale sign. I think, if it, is it remain on the market or do they take it off? I don't know. I don't think it's, they don't delve into that, do they? No, and I don't think they appear in this episode, do they? We... We, we see no. Mr. Swaney, obviously, and Mrs. Warboys, but we don't see Patrick and Pippa. We don't, know. We don't often, if, if at all, see Mr. Swaney and Patrick and Pippa in the same scene or the same episode. I didn't um, think, until a couple of weeks ago, and I heard another one of your podcast, Tom, I didn't think we'd ever seen them together. And then you referenced the fact that Pippa did have a scene or, or an yes. episode where she was in it with Mr. Swaney. But he, yeah. Even though they, they live on either side of the Maldrews. Well, we'll talk a, a little bit more about this later because... We're going to have Mrs. Warboys and Mr. Swain in the same scene again, which I find I find a bit surreal because it doesn't really happen that much. They might be in the same episode now and again, but they're not in the same scene in the same storyline. No. Um, but there you go. So Victor's on his doorstep. Yeah, it's just a catalogue. He spots, again, stops in his tracks. So here's the first marvellous, well, the second marvellous moment of the show because he looks to his left side and he can see someone playing archery. There's yeah. a like a, a target on the front lawn and a very funny, comical sort of dubbed sound effect of an arrow being shot. <laughs> and there's some sort of comical one from the great music accompanies the scene quite well. He sensibly heads around by the back garden rather than sort of going he's not really curious to, enough to really go on the front lawn to see what why is Mr Sweeney or who is in his house essentially firing yeah. arrows but he goes around the back and <laughs> we are greeted by Mr Sweeney who we haven't seen for a few episodes it's nice to see him back he is such a lovable sweet man Victor's perception of Mr Sweeney is a strange is as strange for him as it is for Patrick when he sees Victor doing yeah. strange things I said that before. He casually asks if Victor's well as he's playing archery. And he I love the, the binoculars he has just to see what's he's scored. And he, he does actually acknowledge that it does look a bit odd. Something it wouldn't usually admit. He uses a line, so I can't find it. He uses a line there, which I really like, which was, you probably think that I've lost my head or that I'm off my head. Or Yeah, he, he it's, I just think it's um, unusual for... A character in one from the grave to say yes this does look weird but actually this yeah. is what's happened although even though he explains it so there is a jay's fluid cup on friday and they drawn the the gribbly street exhaust center i wonder if the gribbly street exhaust center is victor's garage that he uses i don't know it um, could be but i don't think it's referenced again it isn't referenced again in the episode but it probably is better mind how much Ramwick uses the same throwback but yeah i never thought that but it probably is the same i did have to look up what jay's fluid was and i've done that now and I, I when i looked it up i thought it has i can't link it to anything else in the show so for listeners at home who don't know what jay's fluid is it's like a brand of disinfectant isn't it um, it is and I, I think the only relevance is that it was just like one of these random sponsorship deals although quite why they would sponsor a local archery tournament i don't know but i think that's what the reference is well it's it's an outdoor cleaner and he is playing a sport outdoors so i guess it's that's the only link i can have it's just as funny to see victor's expression 
as he just looks on in disbelief at him playing archery through Mr. Swain's kitchen and yeah. uh, hallway. Just utterly bizarre, isn't it? Victor does have time to sort of have a little moan about this gorilla costume. Well, I can't stop her. I gotta take a gorilla costume back to the cleaners. <laughs> a gorilla costume? My goodness. Yes, can you believe it? I put my best suit in ready for a party tonight, and I get that. And they call us as a bloody dry cleaning service. They close early on a Saturday, too. I'd probably end up without a suit to wear at all. Oh, well, if you get stuck, Mr. Meldrew, I've always got one you can borrow. Be just about your size, too. Oh, really? Well, no, I don't think that'll be. Well, I'll pop it round later. You can always see what you think. Oh, right then. Just as a backup. Thanks very much. You're very welcome. He hasn't got a, an outfit ready for, in time, but Mr. Sweeney rather helpfully offers to lend him one, which he thinks he's got one in this size, which I find hard to believe because they look different heights. So I don't know. But the fact is, Victor says, you know, I had, had a dry cleaning suit ready to be cleaned. And would you believe it? I get given a gorilla costume. It's clever. It's it's very subtle how he, how he describes it to Mr. Sweeney to such a point that it's all fine. He'll get him a, Mr. Sweeney will get him a, a suit. And that's kind of how it's left, really. They're, they're quite charming na- neighbours to each other, aren't they? They help one, one they another out. And Mr. Sweeney's kind of gently quite assertive as well, because Victor was initially saying, no, 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 that'll be okay. Probably mm. picking up on the fact that they are different sizes. Mr. Sweeney's quite tubby as well, whereas Victor's very tall, tall and thin. Yeah, I think Victor's like, well, beggars can't be choosers. That's fine. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a lifesaver. And he exits the scene, and I think he can hear... Mother, will you please sit back in that chair or I'll have your hair net off again. Thank you. I've never seen Mr. Sweeney serious up until that point because he's obviously playing a, da- a relative, well, quite a dangerous activity through his house. He does look out for his mother, but he was willing to sort of play with fire there by shooting an arrow at full speed whereas mum could easily not hear his instructions or not really know what's going on it's just beautiful that you just don't ever see her i absolutely adore that it's very sweet very very psycho norman bates but (laughs) that that ends up seeing lovely it just highlights that mr swaney is a bit bonkers but a sweet guy yeah i i love that thing i love the whole archery thing it's very much a mr swaney type pastime you can imagine mr swaney belonging to an archery club and yeah the eccentricity of doing it through his house and and the reference to mother, who again, as you said, we we never actually see him. Yeah, yeah, I love we have it. to assume that she's there. But yeah, well, fun fun fact for you: I Costa del Sol 2019. I participated in an archery tournament, and yours truly won. I don't think I've ever won anything in my life, especially tournaments like that. Won a bottle of champers, presented oh, on stage. Very brief anecdote: this, but it was one of those things where they ran all sorts of competitions. You know, holiday resort. And then you got your prize that evening for the, the entertainment. Other, other yeah. winners of other things went on stage. I absolutely milked it when they called my name out. But it was such a large outdoor venue that by the time I sort of walked around, I sort of took my time. They gave up and they stopped calling <laughs> my name out and moved on. And I was like, no, no, wait, wait. So I had to sort of make a run for it. And uh, just about got on stage before they moved on. I had a bit of a tip of myself, to be honest with you. But my family and their friends were um, found it highly amusing. Because I was, I was putting on an act that, of being cocky like, yeah like david brent almost but i was obviously having a laugh but it backfired because they gave up waiting for me it was, I was we were so far back to be honest by the time i shimmy through all the chairs and stuff and uh off going off topic there a little bit but um i think the on the next scene now i'm not sure it's the same day 
it may well be. Mrs. Warboys is uh, talking with uh, Margaret on her bed, and uh, Mrs. Warboys is speaking of, of which colour would go best with someone she knows as artificial eye. It sounds like yeah. uh, we're halfway into an anecdote, a pastime of Mrs. Warboys' experience with a friend or relative. And uh, she, while she was having this conversation with whoever it is, she caught the attention of someone quite familiar. And just as I was deciding which colour would go best with his artificial eye, you know, I thought... That girl there looks familiar. And guess who it was? Little Andrea Temple, who used to live at the back of you in Wingate Crescent. No. Quite grown up now and got the loveliest little baby boy. And we learn it's little Andrea Temple, who, of course, is played by... Helen Ledra. Who we'll see shortly. And she apparently lived around the back in where they used to live in Wingate Crescent. Andrea's got a little baby boy and would like to show Margaret. But I think, as Mrs. Warboy said, Margaret was like a second mother to this uh, yeah. young lady. And I, we we probably know why, because they had a tragic loss themselves, Victor and Margaret. Yeah. So I guess any opportunity for Margaret to be a role model, I guess she would have grabbed with both hands, because according to um, both Margaret and Mrs. Warboy's, her parents were not exactly role models themselves and getting into all sorts of trouble. They were drunks, so I think they end up in prison. Um, yeah, that's isn't this, this is the element where they reference that he was he as in the father was always on the turp, so he was a drunk. Yeah, and the mother slept with the local mortuary attendant. Mortuary attendant. Uh, they and they they got through ten coffins in a week, which is probably why she had round shoulders. So. See, that's funny, and but a little, and that is still dark because that's that's assumably a couple having sex in coffins or yeah something or on coffins and why her shoulders are rounded oh, i don't know very deep quite detailed that but the funny thing about that is it's a bit it's a small reveal that victor's actually he was out of shot but he's now in shot looking on in disbelief as ever yeah where i think it's a it's a stereotype of where women gibbering on about essentially nonsense and the bloke looking on in like what are you talking about and that kind of can happen both ways now. But but it always happens to Victor when he's listening to Mrs. Warboys and Margaret. They do tend to have to an observer, and Victor is always the observer as a rule to their conversations. It is, it is gibberish and nonsense. Mm. And... I don't know why Victor is in the room other than I think he's just keeping one eye, one eye open out the, the their bedroom window for this blasted video repair. I keep saying video repair, guys. not it. video hire company, yeah. JVC or whoever it is. And I think he's he says off oh, five hours late, so he storms out. I think he's relieved to exit the room, to be honest with you. But uh, Margaret's keen to ask um, after Andrea a little bit more, and she sort of says, "Oh, she's still got those lovely eyes, those little dimples in her cheeks." So she's clearly got very fond memories of this Andrea. And that that scene kind of ends there. I, I really like that scene though, and the whole thing where it starts with with Mrs. Warboys making reference to the false eye, and yeah. Peculiar. It's like in um, the Beast in the Cage, where they talk about uh, the man w- with uh, a, like an arm, like a cast, and there's like a gap in the middle, so he essentially didn't have an arm. Yeah, uh, very peculiar. And it's referenced in, in the, that following episode, actually, where they he had a, a prosthetic and they use it to play snooker. Yeah, I, I got no words for that. It's funny. Victor is outside. The VCR gentleman who gets out of his car, he's a, he's approached by an apparent homeless chap asking for 50p for a drink. He gets quite a disapproved non-verbal reply, sort of sneered on by the hire company gentleman. And he's, he seems to be, I think he's dropped something. So he's quite conveniently busy 
picking up a pen yeah. or whatever it is. And the and on chap, the other side of the van, on the other side of the van. So he, this homeless chap, or pretty much rub shoulders with Victor, and Victor is he's in a hurry because Victor, at the end of the day, wants to return this gorilla costume, so he hasn't got any time. Here. And next time, you can try turning up a bit earlier. Oh, I will, sir. You're a credit to society. What can I say? Many thanks indeed to you, sir. Thank you. It's like, here's the bloody video. Um, yeah. Not those words exactly. He just hands Victor... Sorry, Victor hands in this, um, the VCR player in a small fit of rage, and the homeless guy, very grateful. But a comedy of errors that lead up to this, but a mix-up has ensued, and he... The chat walks off with the uh, VCR man. He walks off with the VCR. And then the actual person who was due to collect the video, as far as we're aware, he just goes to Margaret's and Victor's house. And we don't see, like, I don't think we see an end result of that. We, we don't always see, because that, that's a man with the turban, isn't it? Who, yes. Yeah. We see him come around here, but we have to assume that he would then go to the Maldry's house to knock on the door and ask yeah. where the video is. And... and I imagine that Margaret probably didn't answer and then they might have come back another time and they probably had to pay a large bill. That's all I yeah. can think. But yeah, Victor has got things wrong here. I, I think if I was Victor, I, I would have... Uh, I don't know. What's the chances of a homeless person dropping, swinging by your house to ask for some money? Because I don't know if that's a common thing. Like if you go into a high street you may well see somebody asking or a busker or something, but I don't yeah, know but, if you'd find it in a in a sort of suburban street. But and, and the, they, they they live in quite a nice suburban. It's street, quite calm, it's just, isn't it? It's, it's not the, it's not in a town centre. No, yeah, which is the only thing I could think that would, didn't quite ring true that would happen. But it's a podcast for a reason. We're here to pull things apart, but we all know in reality, obviously. It's a sitcom. It's made up. It helps the storyline. It helps the the big cock up from uh, Victor. It's and, worth referencing as well, Tom. So just yeah. so that the 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 homeless guy is is quite clearly Irish. Yeah. Do you think that's another stereotype or? Um, it is. I, I think they've been quite stereotypical how they've written it. They then did a throwback to, at the very end to do with the Guinness. So. According to IMDb, it's uh, the actor's a Stephen Lee. L-E-Y or Lay. He is down as an unemployed man. That's what they've called him, the unemployed man, um, rather than homeless person or, or whatever. But it looks like he's done very little. He's done EastEnders, Out of Hours, The Bill. The last thing he was in was in 2005. So he did a few things in the 90s, and then he had a break, then he did a couple of things in the mid-2000s, and that's it. There's not much more than that, really. Yeah. No, more, no more information on him, should I say. I don't think I've, I can't remember seeing him in anything else. And he makes another, again, a bit of a stereotypical comment, but he makes another comment later on about the Pope. Uh, yes, yes, that's right. The next scene then, we're in, back in Margaret's bedroom and she's very relaxed now. She's got a bit of music playing on her radio, um, but she is suddenly woken up by a raging Victor arriving uh, back from the dry cleaner. So it, Victor's mood is getting lower and Drop. lower. And he calls out, one bloody minute. Uh, he says quite, um, in, in his rage rant, he says the whole lot should be shot at birth, which I thought, was, I think he said that. It's a little bit strong there from Victor. Yeah. Apparently, well, he was basically laughed at from the, the girls in the dry cleaner, dry cleaning um, shop, pointing at the sign and just, uh, yeah, mocking him. But just a one minute late. And he goes, you know, 
Bango is my outfit for tonight now. When Victor says, you know, he, he's, he's down and out, he's brought a little bit of hope now. He's reeled back in. Mr. Sweeney called round while you were out. Oh, did he mention anything about that suit he was talking about? He said he's left it on the settee for you in the front room. <laughs> oh, right. The audience don't really s seem to respond as much as I thought, because so Victor walks in his living room, probably... I think I, ha I think I have a theory as to why they don't respond, because when Victor first comes about, we see him go through the lounge area, and the suit is, is over the back of the settee, but we wouldn't have... So I think we're meant to think, yeah. Well, th that's the, that another fine reveal is the surrealism is getting deeper now, because there are two grill outfits laid on the sofa, very yeah. positioned, very um, comically, like one's looking at the other. And Victor is looking on in disbelief. And of course, Mr. Swaney has done pretty much what, almost what Mrs. Warboys has done, although he's actually thinks he's on about that replacing the grill suit he had. Whereas Mrs. Warboys had just merely collected something that she thought was, yeah. Um, so this is a marvelous, but this is what I was saying originally. The audience don't seem to react as strongly as I thought, but then they do as soon as he responds. Since Richard Wilson is, you know, puts in a great performance of disbelief. Two lots of I do not believe it. So that's um, flabbergasted he is. Margaret obviously doesn't really doesn't know that it's grill suits because she just calls down and says, "Oh, he said it's quite new. He's hardly ever worn it." Mrs. Swain is giving Victor some advice and saying that he should uh, ask for a refund for not cleaning the other one properly. Yeah, he's he's on Mrs. Warboys' uh, War wavelength there because obviously he thinks Victor wants a grill outfit and. Partly the ride, the first one is any good. Not because it's, he, he doesn't want a grill outfit, but he thinks it's because there's a beetroot stain on there. Yeah. So, um, such wrong ends of the stick here again. But Victor sort of sits in between these two big grill outfits and almost looks a little bit petrified. Of like, even Victor finds this surreal, <laughs> doesn't he? Like, he can't yeah. quite believe what he's seeing. But uh, it looks like, I wonder if that. Gorilla suit that Mr. Swaney has lent is the same one used in Jonathan Creek in House of Monkeys. But we do know that Victor does have a track record with monkeys, don't we? That's true. I didn't Albeit think about that. smaller monkeys. No, that's just come to me, actually. I didn't write that down in my notes. No, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 these, yeah, because they're attracted to him and somehow Victor's attracted these two gorilla outfits. So it's quite a funny quite a funny uh, correlation between what we've heard before about Victor's attraction to, not attraction to monkeys, but the monkeys that Monkeys attraction to Victor. Well, it must be later on, in, well, in fact, it is later on into the evening because Victor's frantically getting ready now. He's got half of his suit on, he's got the blazer and the shirt on, and he's got the iron board out. Margaret is probably keen for him to just bugger off now because she's in, is encouraging him to get on with it. It's quarter past seven. I think the, the do is at eight o'clock. Yeah. So he stops in his tracks and puts his trousers on. Where did he get this suit? Is this just a suit he'd rather not wear? Was he being picky or did he manage to get one off Mr. Swaney in the end? What do you think? That isn't referenced. I assume it's just an old suit because it seems to be a normal lounge suit, doesn't it? It's not a dress suit or anything. Yeah. I just wonder, thought, the way Victor was getting in a, in a state that you think he just didn't, he only had one suit. 
Yeah. There's a lot of people, blokes. I think I'm one of them. I got one suit for a wedding, the same suit for a funeral, the same suit for an interview. Um, actually, it's probably, I've probably got more than a few shirts, but I've probably only got one blazer uh, to go with it. So, yeah, I think he's probably, he'd rather made the effort for his cousin's yeah, 60th and wear something, worn something a bit more swish. Victor leaves. He's left the everything pretty much in place. He he folds the iron board away. He unplugs the coffee percolator, puts everything back into position, and he exits. When when Victor leaves, and you hear the door slam. She has the biggest look of relief and smile on her face, and she sinks into that duvet covers. I think she has Agatha Christie book, which I'm sure is purposely done by Renwick with his love of uh, mystery. Uh, crime dramas. She, she, she does. It definitely is an Agatha Christie. I'm quite a big Agatha Christie fan, so I tried to see if I could spot which title it was, to see if that had any. Do you see crossover. it? No, I couldn't. But it definitely, as you rightly say, it is an Agatha Christie. I think the audience find that quite funny. The way Margaret is just so relieved at the house to herself. She does look quite comfortable. She looks very comfortable, doesn't she? She's just like very yeah. cozy. She's got the, the evening to herself. I just had a, another thought. I guess the link with the title, Descent into the Maelstrom, establishes like a whirlpool spinning motion. I guess that you can relate that to the dry cleaning, can you? Because there is clothes being washed, dry yeah. cleaned. That's going to, I guess that's a sort of a, a sort of a, in a roundabout way, a link, isn't it? Once we see Margaret sort of relax, there's some more sorrowful music so that plays and the camera pans across the kitchen. We're in the kitchen. It's like a dark, yeah. darkened room. And it just shows us that the iron is still switched on. Yeah. We're not sure what the iron is on, but we know something is brewing. Much later into the evening, um, Margaret is led, well, she's awake in the dark, led down with a bit of a furious look on her face. She, As soon as she hears the front door open, she turns on the light and is obviously bemused now. Arms folded. She's back to her arguably to say she's back to her old self in the moment victor pops in he's quite chirpy he's obviously had a good time he's not had a, a whinge yet unlike the indian restaurant experience from the previous day and he says there's a, a bit of a strange smell margaret responds with i wonder in a sarcastic tone <laughs> and they, they they don't beat around the bush we see what victor is smelling and it's her outfit she would have worn the yellow dress which rather comically has three iron marks carefully placed over where the her breasts would go let's say this are not being around the bush here and her private parts yeah margaret comes out with her sort of rant now you know i could she says i could always get a job as a stripper gram which stripper gram has been referenced already that's that's, that's not just a random um quote it makes sense because they spoke about stripper grams in the indian restaurant uh she said i wouldn't have to take anything off because obviously she wore it everything would be re- revealed would be on show. we say yeah be on show he's a bit slow on the uptake but he just says oh it looks like the shape of an iron margaret is lecturing victor how you know he's supposed to be looking after her you said to take it easy you know i'll get more i'll get more peace of mind being nursed by the evil dead as she just switches the lights off and leaves victor standing there yeah there's a couple of times that's happened now with the lights being switched off obviously in the kitchen at the scene at the, at the start then when victor left to go to the party we were in the kitchen again in the dark margaret led down in the dark and then she switched off the light again actually more than a few times that's happened uh, whether it's on purpose or not, I don't know. Yeah, but it brings the scene very neatly to a close, doesn't it? It does. I feel sorry for Victor at this point because, as annoying as it is, I'm sure that was a, a new dress or cost a few quid. It's an accident. But more than anything, I think he's just so dopey with it. Like he he's he doesn't really get it. Even when he saw the dress, he goes, "That looks like iron mark. You know, iron prints. Like, of course, it's iron prints. Victor. You, know, you were doing ironing. You must have known that it was 
that dress was in a few inches away. More than anything, I think Margaret just gets fed up with Victor's yeah. sort of lack of awareness. She knows he's not done it on purpose. It's obviously just seems a bit blasé. He's probably had a few drinks. I don't know if he's a taxied it to... I was just thinking that, yeah, because he, he does come across as being very mellow when he comes back. Yeah. We, 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 know, we know that he does that he does like a drink when he goes out. He does like a drink, yeah. We've seen that in quite a few episodes. Uh, presumably the next day, Victor's got a garden gnome on his dining room table, and I wonder if it's one of the garden gnomes from Who's Listening when he had a number of them were through yeah. error from the catalogue company. Um, he goes into his kitchen, and we see Mr. Sweeney rather being he- more helpful than the previous time with the lending of the griller outfit. He appears to be fixing this waste disposal unit, and he's following a book of instructions. If anyone's going to follow instructions, it is Mr. Sweeney. Yeah. I'm one of those if I'm trying to assemble something, which rarely is the case. But I brought a tower fan earlier, and you just had to assemble the bottom part to make it stand. I wasn't going to read. I didn't read the instructions because it is straightforward. But I actually ended yeah. up reading it because I couldn't quite work out how it's supposed to be stable, and I couldn't find the screws. So, Mr. Sweeney is definitely the sort to play by the rules or you know, yeah, you know, follow the right guidance as it were. But very nice of him, I think, to be helping out a fellow neighbour. Probably why Vic doesn't really give him much of a hard time because we we haven't seen or. We don't hear Victor's response to Mr. Sweeney and why the bloody hell did you give me a gorilla costume? I clearly yeah. meant a suit. But maybe Victor's got a bit more respect for Mr. Sweeney, you know, because he's a good citizen. I think in the early days, Mr. Sweeney got on his nerves because he would, yeah. Victor would probably felt quite insecure because he would be likened to the old folks down at whatever charity he yeah. was running. He'd often invite him or he would pop around and say, you know, don't flush the toilet after 11 o'clock because it lets out a dodgy noise. And he would, tease victor with the whole mr gittens and the accident so i think he used to get get wound up by mr swaney but i think he's mellowed with him now i, I think he i think he's learned to tolerate mr swaney because he mm. knows that that is how mr swaney is and as you rightly say in the, in the very first episode when we first meet mr swaney yeah it's when he comes around and thinks that victor's in the granny annex and wants to take yeah. him out yeah on the oap's trip that's right yeah oap's trip but Mr. Sweeney seems confident he can fix the issue. Um, Victor says, mind your nose on that shredder. I'll be up all night scraping it off the ceiling. But uh, like you said, other than that, he has, definitely has a nicer way. Uh, Margaret, Mrs. Warboys, and Andrea. So we actually see Andrea now for the first time. Yeah. They're making a fuss of, a, there's a baby. So she's brought her baby, apparently. So yeah, Helen Lezerer, um, she refers to Margaret as Auntie Margaret. I don't know if she knows Mrs. Warboys or not, but... Um, they, they, they're all making an absolute fuss of this little um, little babby. I, I think she must do, because in, in an earlier scene, it was Mrs. Warboys who said to Margaret, you never guess who I saw uh, in town. I meant more in the, in the lines of perhaps they knew of each other, but yeah, was there, was there as much involvement? It depends how, how many years Mrs. Warboys has been in Margaret's life, I suppose. So Margaret says, you know, she's definitely got your eyes, Andrea. And she sort of says, oh, has he? But then she says, no, we're all right. Just a, just a pair of pearl earrings and hands in back. If you watch it back, Unless I'm missing something, on in the response to Margaret saying she's got your eyes and she, and she just says has he, but then she just this is Andrew this is she goes she just yeah. says straight away no we're all right and then hands the some earrings that the baby's got hold of unless she, it was just a turn of phrase like we're all right give give them back but I, I yeah. think I might be reading into it but I put sentence doesn't make sense um, unless it's a as a cut version I was I was watching I I, I think I think how it was meant to be was. To the baby, yeah, we're all right. It's a per- yeah, per- I yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think it's. No, I think I'm just reading far into something that's not relevant at that point. Well, it is relevant. It's jewelry, but yeah, that uh, the baby's called Donovan. It's quite a adventurous name for 90. 
three. Um, well, I, I've got th- I've got two theories about that. Go on. Firstly, in the early nineties, a lot of little girls were christened Kylie after Kylie after Minogue. Kylie Minogue. Yeah, and I was wondering if Donovan was as in Jason Donovan. Possibly. My, my theory number two is that there was a very, uh, very much of its time, nineteen sixties Glaswegian hipster type singer called Donovan. I'm not so familiar with that, but and he he was very much of his time. But Helen Ledra's something that I was really when I looked on Wikipedia, she's 65 now, which really surprised me. But she's a good-looking lady in the day. There, I, I haven't seen yeah. much. I'm sure she's still. A good-looking lady now, but uh, she's got those sort of very blue eyes, sort of quite a gaze about them, isn't she? She's um, a bit of a sort, as Dell would say. Um, yeah, again, nice. only, only for, for the uh, medium of Wikipedia, she was. She, I found out she was born in Wales. Her mother's English. Father was a Czech Jew, and a lot of his family died in the Holocaust. Right. Okay. So she's got quite an exotic mix, but yeah, she's a very yeah. attractive lady. But well, every detail matters with Renwick. The baby's yeah. called Donovan for a reason. So yeah. Anyone listening wants to add their two pennies worth, let me know. The pearls that the baby is handed back through via, sorry, Andrea, is apparently Margaret's mum's. Obviously, it's well known now that some jewellery was left to Margaret. And she's a jewellery box. He said there's not really much worth of value apart from those earrings. Apart from the earrings. Yeah. And Margaret jokes to that, you know, the baby is about time because she puts the jewelry back in the box. She says, well, it's about time. Maybe you should be back in your box before the nasty old boogeyman comes. What, sees you rolling on his bed. Um, he's like you, bold and grizzles a lot. And of course, Victor walks in at that pop, uh, moment and they all giggle. And it's very similar to Dreamland where yeah. Mrs. Warboy's Margaret and a couple of friends were laughing that bit. So no one gets insecure because um, it's obviously harmless, but Victor's not to know that, is he? Uh, but it is a running thing throughout the, I can think of a, of a few occasions where it happens where, yeah, here's the butt of the joke and he's quite obviously the butt of the joke and he comes in on the end of it. And... Yeah, yeah. We learn that the, her parents are split up. Andrew's parents, that is. And... Yeah, there's that very clever line about Mrs. Warboy says, are they still... Are they we, still... We, we know that her mum and dad have separated, but Mrs. Warboy says, are they still close? And she says, well, yeah, one's in Pentaville and the other one's in Holloway. Holloway, which are HMP prisons, aren't they? Yeah. Um, which I, I didn't know... I knew that she meant that, but I just had to look up to make sure they were prisons and not something yeah, else. But yeah, they are well known prisons. Apparently, she runs a bookshop. This lady. Well, and th- th- this is, is the that, is that a lie? I think it is a lie. We. we we, it's quite a clever lie, though, because um, Andrea says to Ma- Margaret, you always remember all you did for me. You got me into reading. You bought me my first book, which Monica was a Monica. Dickens. And I, I had to look this up, but Monica Dickens was, a, was an author and particularly a children's author. She was actually a great granddaughter of Charles Dickens. Right. Okay. And she was, she was very popular around the late 60s, early 70s, when, which would have been about the time that Andrea would have been a child grown up. Right, so yeah. I, I think the, oh, I've got to get back because I'm running the bookshop, is it, a fantasy. That's the life that Andrea would have liked to have had. And yeah. she, the, at that point in time, she believes that she has got. Yeah, so it's just all fant- yeah, fantasy yeah, fiction fantasy. in her mind, yeah. Um, and she's, she does it very convincingly, doesn't she? she that it's already. very, very clever up until that, I would say. Yeah, it's very, very clever throughout, but yeah, I think it's very it's clever. Believable. It's more than yeah. believable. So Andrea proceeds to take... Uh, baby Donovan downstairs. Margaret looks quite moved and sad as she leaves the room. Maybe it reminds her of the time that when she last left her life, and also the fact we come back to it again. But she lost a child, didn't she? So yeah. Margaret is recovering still from stress. So these things are going to affect her a little bit more than usual. I think it's fair to say. But when Andrew goes downstairs, Victor's still fiddling about with his I say fiddling, wrong phrase, but he's got his gnome. Gnome. He's painting by the looks of it. She's got the screaming baby 
at this point. Donovan is not a happy little boy. So she sort of, I want to say selfishly, she leaves Baby with, with Victor and he tries his best to calm Baby down. But he quickly notices that every time he leans in with the gnome in his arm, Baby stops crying. So he rather yeah. cleverly puts the baby carry it on the floor and puts the gnome on the sofa so the head's leaning, leaning over baby Donovan and it of course does the trick. Andrew's obviously headed back upstairs just to say goodbye. I don't know why she had to come downstairs and then back up again. She could have probably done all the goodbyes and then left but I don't know. I think that's what's happened anyway. And yeah. Mr. Sweeney's still fixing the waste disposal and he, he seems to have fixed it. So obviously Victor tests that and it's worked a, a treat. We do hear in the background Mrs. Warboy saying goodbye to Andrea, so she's definitely gone now. Yeah. And in, unfortunately for Mr. Swaney, he's, he's fixed the um, problem. Excellent. But he has strained his back. It's gone. He, is, he blames it on the archery practice. Uh, Mrs. Warboy's, again, this, I, I think, I don't recall, as I do this podcast, Mrs. Warboy's and Mr. Swaney being in the same scene. They must have done. I just can't think of the top of my head. I'm not sure if they have. I don't think we've come to the stage in the series yet where they go out for the day on the um Hearts of Darkness. The, boat, the boating leg. We, we haven't come to that yet, have no, we? No, that's this series, though. That's the next one I'm um, reviewing, actually. I don't think so. I'm just really thinking hard now. They, they would have been in the same episode before, but in the same scene with this much. I guess in, in Luton Airport, no, no can he scream when they're at the wrong house. Yeah. Essentially, they're in the same house because... Victor brings them back to the, the, the party in the wrong place again. And Mark, yeah. um, Mrs. Warboys is present. So technically they were. But off the top of my head, I can't think. It's, it's late on a Saturday night and I just can't. No. <laughs> when I listen to this back, I'll be going, oh, I know it's this episode. But anyway, Mr. Sweeney, poor old Mr. Sweeney is uh, on the floor. Oh my God, what's happened? Is he dead? <laughs> Fortunately not. If he was, we could move him. <laughs> His back's gone. And Mrs. Warboys comes in and says, is he, is he dead? Yeah. Uh, and Victor suggests calling for a hospital. Um, but of course, Mrs. Warboys rightly says they won't be able to do anything. She knows an osteopath her brother uses. So um, Mrs. Warboys offers her reassurances to Mr. Sweeney. Mrs. Warboys is looking through like a, like a, a diary or a phone book or something. And meanwhile, Victor is clearing the table away. Because um, he's painting his gnome, there's lots of old newspaper cuttings. And of course, he comes across by fluke an article that seems to bring a bit of shock to him. We don't know what this article yeah. is at all. If he's glanced at it. It was an element of horror about his face or his expression, should I say. So that's a little bit of a mystery for us at that point. I, I like that scene in, in its entirety. I think the whole thing with, with Mr. Swaney being led on his back on the kitchen floor, the, the dialogue with Mrs. Warboys. Yeah, yeah no, no, that, it's good. I like that. I think it probably is later on in the day. Uh, Victor's having a mid-afternoon cup of tea, reading his newspaper. Uh, Margaret seems a lot better. She's come downstairs now, and she's just wondering where her, the earrings have gone. You haven't seen those earrings about, have you? What earrings? Uh, Victor doesn't quite understand, or it's not really helpful, doesn't really know what she's on about. But Margaret does seem a bit better, which is a relief. She's felt better since Andrea has visited. Describes it as such a tonic, like a... Yeah. Oh, and that little kitty of hers, couldn't you just eat him? <laughs> not on top of the kippers, no. <laughs> 
really, really uh, gooey over Baby Donovan. And, um, and Vic doesn't really play along with the gooeyness because he just says, not on top of my kippers, no. Yeah. Which I thought was a wonderful response. He does refer to the fact the garden gnome has been, you know, an effective way of calming down the baby. So Margaret is in the kitchen calling out and um, says that she put the earrings in a cotton wool, sorry, on a tray. And Victor has clearly brought down the breakfast tray. So she believes that he's put them you know, in the waste disposal. She's yeah. back to old, her old self. She's peed off, to say the least. Oh, God, no, Victor. What? Not the waste disposal. Sorry? You didn't. Not my mother's pearl earrings. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> That's it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going back to work. I'm going back to work for a bloody rest! <laughs> very irritated with Victor and he just looks confused and he doesn't really quite know what to say. Poor old Victor, he's, to us, the audience viewer, he's only, a, from what we can see, he's only tried to help and we haven't seen him yeah. take away anything. He probably has, he may well have chucked something away. I probably chucked money away without realising it, like yeah. an old £5 note wrap. If you've had birthday or Christmas money, yeah. you're lucky to have birthday money or Christmas money, the chances are when you're a kid and you just, the notes just fall out, they, yeah, some of us are probably chuck money away. But we do find out obviously a lot later in the episode that he is actually helping more than we realise at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. We um more more on the earrings later, shall we say? Um, I know that people listening to this know what happens, but I think it's nice to sort of do things in chronological order so we can yeah. build up that. I guess there might be some people out there who haven't watched this for for years, um, but I hadn't watched this episode for some time. But I did know that he was being a yeah, bit of a hero, shall we say? So night time. That obviously is that evening. Victor is groveling a bit. You know, we all make mistakes, and Margaret very harshly responds with that she certainly made one over thirty-five years ago. Which, of course, the doctors yeah. rather um, unprofessionally stated that she's probably suffered stress for thirty-five exact years. Yeah, it's not exactly um, putting. It's not exactly a nice thing to say. To even if you're the actual patient. Victor knows that the doctor said that already, so he's having it chucked back in his face again. He does feel a bit hurt. Margaret ignores him, and she's just reading her book. Um, after Margaret's quite unfair words, it looks like Victor has got an empty glass by his bed, so I think he, not only is he thirsty, he probably just wants to get out of the room just for a minute. Yeah. He probably can um, cut the atmosphere with a knife. And he goes down to, yeah, again, a dark kitchen. Three or four scenes we've had now with the kitchen light off. and We just see Victor go to the fridge, and all we see have is the, like the fridge light reflecting onto him. Oof. Sorry, did I wake up? <laughs> it's all right, Mr. Melville. I'm afraid I'm a bit of a light sleeper. I'm sorry the osteopath couldn't get here to the morning. <laughs> but she did say she'd try and get round first thing. I hope so, Mr. Meldrew. <laughs> I think at this point, most of us viewers, we f we forget that Mr. Sweeney is still on that floor, still in the same position as previously in that day. And this is the way Victor says, oh, sorry, did I wake you? Yeah, clearly no osteopath could get there in time. He couldn't come into the following day. I just thought it was brilliant. I certainly, f I think almost every time I forget he's still there. Yeah, it's but very, it very clever. I, I don't think we're, if I'm, I'm thinking back to the 
earlier earlier scenes, which I think was a previous day. I don't think we knew that it was going to be the following. Oh yeah, yeah, it was the following day. So it is established that the uh, the osteopath couldn't get there the Meldridge house till tomorrow. So I think it's it's fooled us wonderfully because what, when we first see Mr. Swain do his back in and that an osteopath is going to come out and sort it, and then we of course we move on with the scene with Victor and Margaret. So the whole time. Victor and Margaret in their living room where she was trying to find the earrings. He was there the whole time. You kind of forget that happened because you just assume it's he's probably been and gone. We were fooled. I was certainly fooled. Like you just forget he was there. You just assume it was all wrapped up. But next morning, yeah, Margaret's still got the ump. And we hear the doorbell go. Victor goes to answer, um, goes to answer. I think Margaret storms off upstairs. I think she's still getting ready. And we just hear, we don't see this person at the door but there's a woman saying sorry to disturb you so early and Victor interrupts he hasn't really learned his previous lessons has he when he comes face to face with someone he hasn't met yet he doesn't let the person finish but she he just invites her in <laughs> this woman walks in and she's looking a little bit confused as so she uh, she spots Mr Sweeney on the floor they they kind of give a nervous smile to each other because obviously Mr Sweeney thinks it's the osteopath as do we in a roundabout way then she just wanders off into the living room and she calls out is it this one on the floor sorry is it the one on the floor of course the one on the floor <laughs> who else is bloody well done now <laughs> and i love victor's response at this point he is in the bedroom with margaret he's quite rude actually earlier on in that uh, scene time because um when she first comes to the door he said it's in there does he say it's in there yeah. does he he refers to mr swain isn't it it's in there okay I wonder if that was done on purpose or not. It doesn't seem to make sense but, but, to me. But, but with it being in, inanimate with the it's, I yeah. don't understand why yeah. she thinks what it is. Yes. Well, Victor's actually off to the cleaners again just to return this gorilla suit. It's a second time of um, trying. The woman um, who he's let in, unbeknown to Victor, and again, the audience were a little bit fooled here. She opens the living room window, and we actually see the, well, I referred to him as a homeless guy, but he's called the unemployed chap. You were right. He's giving them away to anyone who asks. He just pointed me towards it. He goes, it's all yours. And what did I tell you? He's balmy as the Pope's Catholic. <laughs> Quick, before he changes his mind. She acknowledges that he's absolutely balmy and that he's offering anything, apparently. So word has got around. What I would say about this is he is dressed as like a bit of a drunk or a yeah. bit of a waster, but she doesn't really look the sort. She just looks like someone else passing the street who you wouldn't assume to be homeless. Yeah, she, she, you're right. She doesn't look as if she's on a rep, but she looks yeah, she, I don't know if it's re- like, relatively normal and retiring that. I don't know if it's a girlfriend or a wife of this person, but she just, they, they look like two, they look like different kinds of people. They, yeah. don't, they don't seem like they would know each other, but I don't know if they're painting the picture. But they're, we're supposed to believe they are related or just two fellow homeless people who share time together on the streets. Once Victor's called out, of course, there's one on the floor. She is looking at um, the video player, which is the curse of the video player. So she's about to pinch that, evidently. Um, and she's just looking a little bit, I can't believe this is happening. I'm getting a, a freebie here. To then, you know, talk, talk out the um, dining room window, uh, living room window. So one can assume that's been pinched. Victor leaves uh, Margaret and goes down the stairs and calls out who he, he's calling out to Mark to say the keys are on the side. Yeah, because he'd already said that he was going to get the bus into town, hadn't they? Yes, which is yeah quite relevant at this point. And this lady who is let in, this intruder, thinks he's speaking to her. So of course 
she half inches the keys and seemingly drive off because Victor Margaret's looking out the window and she lets out a Victor! <laughs> she can see what's happened or she can quite quickly realise their car's going. Yeah. She, she she might not know exactly she might not be able to process what's just happened in terms of why Victor's let someone in, but she knows that the wrong person's turned up and just pinched the you know, pinched their car. That's all you need to know at the end of the day. So later in the day, Margaret is looking quite sort of... She sat on the sofa. She's just read the, the local rag by the looks of it. And she does look a little bit solemn. And Victor arrives again, ranting again um, after dropping off the gear. Had a bit of a long and unpleasant argument down at the Rat Catcher's Rest. Yeah. Over six pints of Guinness. I think he was charged six pints of Guinness a piece. It cost him. Yeah, it was what... He makes reference to the fact that basically he's got all the stuff back. So yeah. presumably the, the current two videos, but it cost him six pints again as a piece. So he got into this spent sawdust pub. So he managed had... to track them down. Yeah, in the rat right. catcher's rest. Yeah, well, he did well to to recapture six pints. So six pints. I don't know what six pints a piece. So twelve pints, six for the yeah. man. No more than two quid in ninety three. That's not much. It's cost him to get back twenty four quid. No, he's he's got quite a good deal there, but. Well, the reason why I was unsure about what he was on about and the fact that their car's stolen is when we get to a later episode for Series 5, The Man Who Blew Away, their stolen car was tracked down in Finland. Yeah. That's why I thought, I don't know if he has tracked down the vehicle because unless another car's nicked and I can't remember what's happened, I just no. wonder. Margaret is actually smiling and seems quite at peace with Victor's rant for once. And she gets up. I think Victor is, you know, he does that thing where he says, before you say anything, don't say anything. Yeah. Let me finish. And he's doing that a number of times in this scene. And he's done it through, through uh, other episodes. Margaret sort of stands up and just plants him a pecker on the lips, which he's taken aback by. And she just says, thank you. We, we learned that Margaret's actually read what Victor's previously read. He's forgotten that the paper's arrived. I think he was planning just to get rid of the local newspaper. Yeah. It was posted through the letterbox. And he just didn't want us to find out. So we're sort of drawn in very subtly to what this story's about. Says the police are still looking for the emotionally disturbed girl who escaped from a remand home last Wednesday. That they think she's probably the same one who abducted a little baby boy from his parents' garden two days ago. I rang that incident room number up yesterday afternoon. Told them she'd been here. Sorry, Margaret, I know how much she meant to you. So we think, oh my God, like like we were saying, that, that Andrea seemed the real deal. She seemed like a loving yeah. mum. Um, seemed a natural. Seemed um, like any other parent from, from what we saw. Uh, we've been fooled a couple of times this episode, I think. And we we were meant to, the the added thing as well is we're meant to think that she's turned her life around having grown up with these two useless parents that so she's managed to get this bookshop and mm. presumably yeah. a partner to have had a baby and she took the pearl earrings as well, didn't she? And you would never have said a thing. Well, I've taken the blame for every other disaster this week. <laughs> I didn't think one more would make any difference. <laughs> Margaret realizes obviously the pearl earrings were, were were nicked, and she says you were gonna, you were going to take the 
the blame, wouldn't you, for this? And Victor, a bit of comic relief, said, well, I've taken the blame for every other disaster this week. That just says what kind of a man he is, really. I think it's really, uh, really sweet. He's done nothing but good for this episode, and he was yeah. he was willing to be well and truly in the in the doghouse for a long time just to protect Margaret. So, yeah, and for, for something that he was completely innocent of. Yeah, absolutely. He knew how close she was to Margaret, but he did the right thing, and he, and he called the, the police and reported it. So in theory, though, there's no evidence to say she nicked the earrings. It could have been... Um, Mrs. Warboys, I, I mentioned here, but I don't think that would be the case. Yeah, I'm sure it was this uh, lady. Maybe they were chucked down the waste disposal, but there you go. The doorbell uh, uh, goes. It's a very, very relieved mum. This mum is um, Mrs. Ashcroft, uh, his, yeah. her character name. She's played by Laura Cox. Ever since I was a little boy, and still to this day, I look at this the choice of actress they've used, and she looks an old mum. She's born in she 1948. Is. And she'd have been around her mid forties when this was aired. She looks like a gra- a, a young yeah. grand to me. She, she she her character looks very old fashioned, actually very eccentric. And we find yeah. that in a minute that her husband's very eccentric. But yeah, she does look like a much older I mother. Just, I just found that peculiar. Like she looks oh, with respect, she looks older than forty five, but she's about yeah. forty five. You know, it's not impossible to be a mum, first time mum of that age. But I just thought you sort of question the the casting, yeah. like. Yeah. It hasn't been cast very well, but no. I think I think what they were trying to do was to get someone who looked as she mm. looks, which is funny. If it was the other way around, where you had this actress playing the deranged mum, yeah. so-called mum, and Hel- Andrea was like the actual mum, really, yeah. that would be more believable. Yeah. But she is very grateful. Thank you very much. And uh, on behalf of uh, me and my husband, and the camera pans to a little car, and the husband, the dad, is dressed up in a gnome um, costume. It wouldn't make sense to Margaret, but Victor go. Ah, oh, now it makes sense. Yeah, maybe is used to his daddy. And uh, I gotta say, when I was a little boy watching this, I can promise you, I didn't get that. I thought, what, what, what's so? I thought, I just thought it looked funny. Of well, it is it's a very funny kind of way, way to dress. But yeah, it's, it's very clever how they've done that with the gnome. There is an actual earlier bit when Mrs. Ashcroft knocks on the door. Yeah. Victor's initial reaction is, oh, another mad woman asking someone, somebody told you that we're giving videos away. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the final sort of reference to the video player. But this old little yellow Metro is parked outside their car. And it's, yeah, it's a relief that the baby, is, if, if they'd left it so this the, the real parents didn't turn up, that would be a, a, a very dark way to leave the episode. Like, this Andrew has abducted this baby I, you know one can only imagine not even imagine what it's like to have someone close that close to you, your child abducted it's like the worst horror possible but i'm glad you know Renwick wasn't feeling too dark himself when he wrote this and he wanted a happy ending yeah because it wouldn't it wouldn't be out of character for him as a writer really for it to have no. been left with that no dark. I, you could wouldn't put it past well, him to sort of leave it like that like oh so it's one thing i sort of it's quite obvious to observe, but Margaret wasn't cross about Andrea. She was just devastated and sticking up for her because, you know, if you have a, an upbringing like she did, and there's no wonder she didn't have a decent start in life, so there's no wonder that she is um, where she is today. Yeah. Um, it's, it should never excuse abducting a child or anyone, but um, she totally, she I think she just wants to cling on to the fact that she doesn't want to see bad in this in, in no. Andrea. She's just like, no, this is there's a reason why she's like this. So she remains loyal to yeah, the she um, does. Yeah. 
It's re- it's really sad. You, do you remember in we have put her in uh, living in the tomb in series two, where Margaret has a goddaughter with the turtle that they look after. Yeah. I wonder if her goddaughter knew this Andrea because obviously being a godmum or a goddad, I think it meant a lot more back in the day, and you would have quite a lot yeah. of involvement. I wonder if. Um, her goddaughter and this Andrea have much to do with one another. But that goddaughter seemed quite middle class, didn't she? If you remember yeah. her from that episode. And Andrea sort of seemed, from what we saw, she seemed quite, well, she seemed like her head was screwed on and just an everyday someone in their mid- late 20s looked like, look, look perfectly normal, acted perfectly normal. Obviously, we learn otherwise. But yeah, that's that brings us to the end of the episode. Well, that is the end of the episode. Not a lot plot-wise has happened. I think this episode's been more about um, revealing Margaret's past, it's yeah. fair to say, bringing more out in Mr. Sweeney with his weirdness and his qu- his kookiness, his quirkiness. Mrs. Warboys didn't really have to be in that uh, in this episode, other than well, actually, I need to take that back because one thing that Renwick talks about in this episode is only Dory Mantle, Mrs. Warboys, could have played that scene perfectly. Well, she's the best one for the for the job with regards to how casual she was placed in the gorilla costumes. Yeah. Because she's a stage actress by trade. Apparently he was just like so fascinated with her performance, especially for this episode, just the way she just played it so naturally, like totally oblivious to yeah, um, just the way they, she they... lay in that costume out. So not, not self-conscious at all about it. Like just amazing. No, because she's probably the only character who wouldn't have questioned. This is really mm. weird. Mm. Why has he got two gorilla costumes? Yeah, yeah. Patrick and Pippa would have said something, but not Mr. Sweeney or Mrs. Warboys. So incidentally, the episode was aired in February 93, 7th of February 93. Renwick going into the dark places in comedy with child abduction this time. The, the whole setup for Mr. Sweeney to hurt his back was brilliant. You know, you could have used any, you could have used any excuse for, to have a bad back, but yeah, just to say it was because of the archery was perfect because we actually got to see him play archery and just so weird and uh i think yeah like i said the gnome element was a nice little throwback to who's listening margaret's health issues will be brought up uh, up again in endgame where she well she has a heart attack i think so yeah that will continue sadly um you said this is one of your favorite episodes did you say it is because for me it kind of um contains everything that i like about the show it's very very surreal the whole gorilla suit thing yeah um that deep affection and love between Margaret and Victor is, is apparent between both of them, although it's not. Obviously, yeah. it's, very, it's a very rocky relationship, which we see up and down throughout the series. But yeah. it's quite it's a good, nice round. It's quite a good advert for couples out there who need to wake up a bit and realise actually, just think, just if you're with anyone, just try and look at the good in what they do because yeah. um, it's not that obvious with Victor and Margaret their love. But Victor has been solid in this episode. He hasn't put a foot wrong in my in my opinion. No, I think he had he had a stellar kind of behaviour in this. And, and, got, and I, I I love Mr. Swain's character. So oh, the fact yeah. that he's so heavily involved in that. I, I don't think there's many fools and horses aside, faulty towers as well. But this the casting for One from the Grave overall is a ten. I like I I, I did have a little whinge about. This mother, who Donovan's real mum, looking like yeah. the grand. But apart from that, it's just marvellous. Uh, just absolutely adore one from the grave. And Renwick, we applaud you once again. I wouldn't have that down in as my 
my all-time favorite episodes but every episode offers something different at the same time there's continual message in, in each one in the grave episode but victor is a good guy there's no doubt about it he might take things a bit too far with his rants and he might say a few harsh things but say daft things in the moment of anger he doesn't eat a man of principles isn't he that episode ends there what i think will be good to dive straight into amel drumone rich You got uh, Meldrew Moan? I've got one. I've tried to avoid COVID in my moan because obviously yes. everybody's. Oh, I, that is reassuring. Can you? I don't know if you can beat. I think so far, Matt, I don't know if you listened to Tricks on the Roof. The load shedding of electric in South Africa seems a bit, a bit of a bizarre thing. But if you can top it, there might be a prize in order. Go ahead. I can't top it. And it's, a, it's a moan I've had all through my life, really. And I don't come from this as a particularly well-educated person because I left school at 16. But I cannot stand people who say H instead of H. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Or, um, or the phrase, hence, or hence why. Not, you don't need to say why, just say hence this or hence that, not yeah. hence why I told you earlier. No, just hence me telling you earlier is the proper phrase. Yeah. Is that your main moan? That is my main moan <laughs> in life. Short and sweet. Yeah, yeah, H and H, yeah, yeah. Well, that's all right. They're the tongue-in-cheek moans, aren't they? But that's fair enough. Bloody H's. <laughs> the next episode I'll be reviewing is Hearts of Darkness uh, with uh, David Jones, who's been in contact a lot. Uh, so look forward to have David on. Very passionate one-foot fan. That's another, arguably, the probably, no, the darkest episode, yeah. probably. Uh, everyone's standout episode of the, certainly this series. That's going to be... Um, a barrel of laughs for the listener, I'm sure. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot too much, but is there a joke you can tell us before you go? And I will Wait. laugh. <sighs> I cannot stand people who name drop, as I said to my auntie, the Queen, when I saw her at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rich, for your time. I appreciate Thank you coming on to review the episode. And we'll make sure, listeners, even if you don't watch Britain's Got Talent, and I don't, but I will keep an eye open for your uh, performance and um, wish you all the very best. Um, Thank you, Tom. For those of you uh, listeners, if you haven't reviewed the show, uh, please would you mind reviewing it? Because, well, the more reviews I get, the more searchable the uh, podcast is. And the aim is to get more and more listeners, of course. Um, I'm very grateful to those who've already reviewed. So thank you so much. If you'd like to get in touch, uh, you can email one foot in the podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you'll find the podcast on Twitter at one foot in the pod. And I tend to roam around on the one foot in the grave Facebook pages. I'm down as Victor Meldrew. So please get in touch if you've got any feedback, if you want to get or have your say or want to participate on the show, it'd be more than welcome because the podcast these days does rely on guests. So I do have guests lined up for the rest of series four, but there's spaces in series five and six and a couple specials. So get in touch did you leave a review rich i did yeah five star oh, thank you because i just can't remember the top of my head but yeah i, I now remember anyway rich thanks once again for your time uh, guys next uh, thank you for listening it hearts of darkness like i said next week with david take your care and i'll speak to you soon oh, I'm in the grave.